Welcome to the Brilliant Minds podcast. Brilliant Minds is a two-day thought leadership summit where we gather the most innovative international luminaries, global decision makers, and young emerging talents of our time to discuss the future in the world's creative capital, Stockholm, Sweden. Created in 2015 by Ashpur Nori, founder of At Night Management, and Spotify's founder, Daniel Ek, Brilliant Minds and Symposium Stockholm provides a platform and week-long festival for creative individuals with powerful ideas to come together and interact with a global community of leaders at the intersection of arts and technology. The theme for this year's Brilliant Minds was collaborative creativity. The notion that great ideas and great business happens in between. In between tech and music, fashion and music, innovation and art, in between American and European cultures. In the marriage of the old and the new way of doing things, magic happens. My name is Natalia Brzezinski, and as the CEO of Brilliant Minds and Symposium Stockholm, I'm so happy to say that we're now sharing a lot of our content from the event via this podcast. What you're about to listen to are a few of the speakers that spoke at Brilliant Minds in June. has made it possible for a new kind of freedom and an unprecedented openness and voice to all people. But sometimes freedom does come with a price. With all the great things of the internet, we also need to find ways to protect our children from the dangers of the web and shield against cyber terrorism. This is the everyday struggle, challenge, and job of our next speaker. With an impressive background of building some of the world's best-known tech companies, such as Google, AOL, and Facebook, Baroness Joanna Shields is now the UK Minister for Internet Safety and Security. She joined me on stage in this next talk, which is super inspiring, and I was so proud to have been able to moderate it personally. I wasn't revealing too much there, but you know, you are incredible. And I think the magic of you is you really do everything with your heart. You really work on the things you believe in and you do it all the way. And sometimes it's frustrating when the media or others don't really realize that. Um, So tell us a little bit about your work now with internet safety and you know, how is that coming from a place of passion for you? Well, you know, my generation was able to dream this utopian dream of the internet, and we got to talk, the, you know, about all the hyperbole and the platitudes of what it was going to enable. And, you know, we've seen, what, 25 years of this incredible revolution, and I've been privileged to be part of it. But what occurs to me now is that, 
your generation, the younger generation, really has to deal with the complexities and the realities of a world that's moving to be, you know, accelerating into this ever connected and more interdependent future. You know, we live in a world now where companies count their users in billions. So, you know, no one company or country can look at challenges online in the same way. We have to look at it as a group and we have to unite behind our principles and our shared humanity and to address some of the big challenges that we face online. You famously missed your own college graduation to get over to Silicon Valley, and you were such a part of the growth and the building and the dream building of the internet. Is this the internet that you thought would happen then? I mean, and how can we fix it? Well, I, you know, I don't feel like um, anybody could have imagined where we sit today. In fact, in many ways, I think it's, it's been slower to evolve than we expected. And in many ways, it's, it's changed and evolved in ways that we could have never anticipated. Um, I think, you know, the whole idea about this industry is being in a hurry and looking for the next big opportunity. But what I found in my experience is that it's often the unexpected that is where the magic begins to happen. You know, the things that you don't expect, the, the departure that you take in your business, you know, that thing that didn't, we didn't plan for is often what determines sort of the next big vector. And I think that's what's really exciting about the industry. Tell us more about your day-to-day -day or your vision in your current role. I mean, you are the leading online extremism executive leader right now. How yeah. are you going after this? Well, you know, like anything else that's been amplified or enabled by, you know, the connected world, um, you know, forces of evil are also in a position to be, you know, to leverage the great things that we all use. And it kind of just makes me really angry in many ways because, you know, like extremist groups like Daesh or the so-called Islamic State have become a global brand. Mm. And they've leveraged the same tools that our brands and our technologies have enabled, you know, great causes to be born and to move across the world and to, in, you know, unite people. They've been able to manipulate that same technology to you know, go deep into you know a child's bedroom and and you know with propaganda move them from this you know place of innocence almost to where they are believers in this in the privacy of their own homes or on their own mobile phones, and you know in a free and democratic society everyone has a right even zealots and bigots and racists as we've been talking about on this conference have a right to share their opinions, but there's a vulnerability of young people where they're you know, they're open to this and susceptible in ways that really are challenging society and communities in ways that we've never been challenged before. To be clear, and this is a mistake I even made, you are not for regulating the internet. That's not what you believe in. But then tell us more, I mean, how do we get there? It's, it well, seems like the path to solving this is quite challenging. Well, as I said, you know, my approach has always been how do we how do we leverage technology to solve really challenging problems? And I think we've talked about that over the last two days, and there's been some great insights raised here on the stage. Um, what we're doing is trying to turn technology against the bad guys. <laughs> um, three years ago, I formed an organization called We Protect, and the idea behind that is, again, it's just, it was outrageous to me that pedophiles were able to groom children online en masse. And you know things like live streaming of sexual abuse were, 
were even possible just enraged me. But what was clear is that in order to challenge this evil in the world, we have to unite as companies, governments, NGOs, and all come together in a shared purpose. And everyone has to do their part because we want to maintain a free and open internet. You know, regulation is this blunt instrument. It's never the right solution. What we need are awareness campaigns so that everyone understands the risks and everyone is working towards the goal of eradicating, for in this case, child sexual abuse online and, and exploitation. Um, and in the case of extremism, it's even more challenging because there's not a really clear legal framework with, you know, a definition of extremism. You know, how do we, one person's extremist is another person's freedom fighter. Mm. So there's a really challenging, um, you know, area that we have to look at. And it's, it's nuanced and it's really important that we in government bring this to the forefront and make sure people are aware of it that are building products and that, you know, maintain and build these platforms that we all connect with and share on. Where does your passion for making change and especially for children's rights come from? Because you don't have to be doing this. You know, you've no. been a very successful tech executive. You don't have to be putting yourself out there, getting battered by the media, which sometimes happens like you are. Why do you do it? <laughs> I, I just feel incredibly blessed. You know, I've had this opportunity to be part of this, you know, digital revolution. I know I'm going to date myself, but I first saw digital technology in action in 1985. Um, I was in Washington, D.C., and I'd been working in a company, a startup company, that was digitizing pictures. Guys, remember, these are the days <laughs> that, you know, a picture going over a phone line and being printed in a newspaper was a revolution. And, you know, I remember we, we sent out um, these journalists to the, the field with this compact computer that was the size of a suitcase <laughs> and um, a Targa 16-bit capture board. This is how long ago it was. And basically, they were scanning images that they had um, processed in the field for printing in, in, you know, in the newspaper. And I saw that come out at the Gannett News headquarters. I saw it come out in a printing press, the image that came through our technology. And I knew that this revolution was being born. In fact, that's why I jumped in my car and headed <laughs> west, and um, the rest is history. Amazing. You have such an amazing, I'm glad you started there, because I think your story is, not to sound cliche, but it really is an American dream. I mean, we've talked about growing up in Pennsylvania and you were ice skating to school. You had this fantastic family. It's very your, cold there. Your Uncle Joe called you the bulldozer, you know. I want to talk about that later, but tell us your start to finish. I mean, you're in the House of Lords right now. That's quite the narrative. Did you ever think that this would happen? <laughs> no. You did. I know you did. No, no. I mean, you couldn't have planned it, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, I, I think for me, it's, you know, serendipity is something I embrace. And as I said earlier, it's often that unexpected thing that happens to you or the challenge that, you know, forces you to kind of look at your life and, and you know, identify an opportunity that might not have been, been obvious to you. In fact, I always tell young people when I speak to them, I'm like, I'm, I think you should get lost from time to time. And you can see the teachers in the room saying, what is she <laughs> saying here? Because I think when you get lost or you have a big challenge in your life, it often leads to the next great sort of, you know, uh, not just achievement, but, you know, the elevation of your spirit as a human being. 
And, you know, I've I had a lot of challenges. You know, I left the U.S. in... Um, you know, in 19 or 2000, mm -hmm. just at, at the turn of the millennium with a baby son and started my life over <laughs> in the UK. And um, it wasn't easy. I was a single mom for many years. And, um, and I'm sure my son Ben would, would <laughs> attest to the fact that it wasn't easy. But I think the biggest gift you can give your children is your time. And I just heard Sir David Attenborough say that this morning. So um, he said the biggest gift you can give a child is your time, and I really believe that. How did you do it? <laughs> I mean, it's, and Ben is sitting here, and he's so <laughs> handsome and perfect and amazing. We all love Ben, and we're going to have a lot of fun tonight, Ben. Um, but it's not easy. I mean, I have my father helping me, my mother, my mother, my husband is engaged. And you were a CEO. You were in tech before yeah. it was kind of cool to have maternity leave and things like that. Um, I don't know if it's cool yet in this world, yeah. but how did you do it? Well, I mean, I, I think things have improved. They're not as far along as they need to be. I mean, when I had my son, I was the CEO of a startup company, and the board was really just annoyed that I was even having a son <laughs> or a child at that point in time because they'd put their faith in me as a new CEO, and it was quite controversial. So I tried to do everything. I went back to work really quickly with my son in a Moses basket, you know, on <laughs> yes. my desk. And, you know, you just do what you have to do. I remember being on conference calls in the old days. We used to do a lot of conference calls. Things are a little bit more improved now in terms of how people <laughs> interact and work. But um, I remember once my boss in the company saying, can't you shut that kid up? And I'm thinking, oh, I just wish I could, but what can I do? There's nobody here. It's just me. And, you know, we just have to get on with the conversation, whether he's crying or not, you know, and that was one o'clock in the morning, you know, because if you work with, you know, Silicon Valley companies, you end up working around the clock. Someone once told me that, uh, and this was offline, of course, that the key to being a successful woman is you just have to develop a thick skin mm. and not care. Actually, this is online. My, my sister-in-law, Mika, would always tell me that, you know, when I was coming into different roles, you just, I don't care about what people think. But sometimes I wonder if that's really realistic. I've and never achieved that. Have you achieved that? <laughs> no. So what does no. it feel like to be called Cameron's cutie? Well, I think that's really <laughs> sad when you're 54 years old to be called a cutie. But, um, <laughs> I mean, 25 years of, of work and experience, and that's what they pick out. But, you know, hey, at least it's... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know what to, I, I just wanted to throw to it out about there. That. <laughs> Actually, it's really embarrassing. <gasps> I just wanted to throw it out there. But, um, <laughs> but the media perspective, and, and we've talked about this a lot, because I think government is hard. I mean, we're seeing yeah. that with our own elections. Communicating and communicating in authentic ways has been a bit of a red thread over these two days here. But um, sometimes it seems like the more you talk, the less they want to hear your message. Mm. Do you feel muzzled sometimes? I mean, how frustrating is that? You're yeah. out there doing something really important and everybody's all over you. Well, you know, we're, we're challenging, you know, we're, we're operating in an area of internet safety and security. And I am the biggest believer in the free and open internet. Mm. I will be the champion till the day I die. <laughs> but there are some times when you have to raise issues where people aren't safe and you have to raise issues, and people immediately think you're one of those people that want to you know, limit people's civil liberties, you want to limit the right of expression. Absolutely not the case, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to solve the problem. I mean, you know, in the physical space, governments are required to keep people you know, safe. But in the, you know, in the virtual world, 
it's really nobody's responsibility. So what, what do you have to do? You have to help kids. You have to develop education programs so kids can recognize that this might be risky behavior or that this person might not have my best interest at heart. So you have to work with the education system. You have to work with NGOs that support children who have been harmed in certain ways by either being groomed online or, you know, or various other things that can happen to kids online mm. where they meet up with people that are, you know, not, don't have their best interests at heart. So, you know, all of these things require, you know, a, a conversation. And it's really frustrating when you're not allowed to have the conversation because, you know, the outrage merchants jump in and say that you're trying to limit freedoms and nothing could be further from the truth, but we have to talk about it. Why do you think people are so angry? I don't know. People are really angry, <laughs> angry. right now. It's, a, it's an interesting time. And I, I look at it right now, you know, we're looking at a very, an historic referendum in, in the UK. And Something happened since 2008 when we had the financial crisis. And, you know, the world used to kind of be centered around, you look at the bell curve and there was center left and center right, and that was kind of how the world was, mm. was situated. Suddenly that bell curve is flipped and it seems like we've got extremes on either side and very vocal extremes on either sides. And I'm not necessarily sure that that represents the world at the moment, but, you know, Social media also amplifies extremes. So extremes are the ones that get the most view, views. So mm -hmm. consequently, we start to think that society actually believes in those extremes. And it's not necessarily true. So and are you an optimist in the end? I mean, always. <laughs> so are we going to leave, you know, my Aurora, your Ben, are we actually going to leave them a better world? I, I think that we will. I absolutely believe that. And, you know, when I look at my life, it's so much easier than the life of my parents, my grandparents. And, you know, you, you have to see that, you know, we are moving into this more connected and interdependent future and more of a shared huma humanity response to that is what's needed. And we just, we just have to keep the faith and keep trying to make sure that the products we build are, are have, you know, goodness in mind and that we keep them, you know, in the right way, you know, we maintain mm -hmm. them in the right way and that we watch out for the things that concern all of us. And yeah, I, I'm a believer that we will, we will get through it. <laughs> it's just going to be an interesting year. <laughs> Thank you, Joanna. You My give pleasure. me faith. You're Thank fantastic. You. Thank you very much. Let's give her a big round. Thank you.